Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Scripture tonight will be 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It's on page 1012 of your pew Bibles. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1, 1, verse 10. Now plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Good evening. It's good to see everybody here on this evening. I hope you've had a good afternoon. I know there's absolutely nothing special going on today in our culture, so I have a plan for tonight, a particularly long and detailed lesson which I hope that you will all appreciate deeply, uh, that will definitely change your lives for the better and all that good stuff. And uh, this is the way you split churches, by the way. And therefore, I will back off from that and get to our text, which happens to be all about not splitting churches. So, if you have your Bibles, open up the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Our text tonight is going to be verses 10 through 13. Most of those verses I'm simply going to interpret in the context. My focus is going to be on verse 10 as the heart and core of this context. Now, this is a passage that, of course, has been much misunderstood from a couple of different directions. And so I want to make sure we bring out the truth of this passage together. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And Paul then asks in response to this charge, is Christ Divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? This is a very important passage, and again, one that I say that can often be misunderstood, but I want to focus on a few of the words that Paul uses in order. First of all, he says, I appeal to you brothers. And I think that this is a very important lesson for all of us, especially those of us that might find ourselves in roles of leadership within the church. And we think, how is it that we should exercise the authority that God has given us? The authority of the gospel preacher in the pulpit, the apostle Paul says to, to teach and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. That's the authority of the pulpit. The elders in the church of our Lord are to rule in the local church. And those who do so well are to be counted worthy of double honor, meaning that there are even sometimes full-time elders who are paid. But even if that's not the case, the normal use of the word honor in our culture ought to be doubly applied to good elders in the church who rule 
well. Those who serve as deacons in the church have a rulership, as it were, delegated to them by the elders to oversee a particular aspect of the ministry of the church. Those who teach in Bible class are in a position of authority as they stand there at the lectern and represent God over that Bible class. And of course, those that lead all kinds of works and ministry and the activities, all of us as Christians are striving to lead souls to Christ, right? And so there's a sense in which every Christian is called to some kind of leadership in the kingdom. And uh, I've made a long study, well more than a decade, decade and a half of very diligent study into the subject of leadership. And I'm aware of concepts in leadership that come from the world. I'm aware of those that have come from the kingdom of God. And I will tell you that sometimes there is very little difference between those two things. And part of that is because of the pervasive influence of the concepts and of the methods of leadership that come from the world, which is authoritarian in nature and often really, really subject to the temptation of pride. The Apostle Paul is clearly a leader in the church. And his position as an apostle uh, in the Lord's kingdom, his authority is above that of gospel preachers like my, myself. His authority in the church is above that of our three elders. Our three elders respect the authority of the Apostle Paul and the other apostles over themselves. And of course, the Apostle Paul uh, was especially the apostle to the Gentiles. And so outside of Judea and Jerusalem, there was not a soul in the ancient church that wielded greater influence and authority and power in the church universal than did the Apostle Paul. And so when we see him in this passage, rather than saying now, I command you, I order you, you must, there are some times in which Paul uses that, but in this concept, context he says, I want to appeal to you. Now different Bible versions uh, translate that Greek word as appeal, of course in the ESV that we read, plead with you, the New King James Version. The Old King James says beseech. Uh, the, the New American Standard says, urge, I urge you. And you recognize that all of these languages are the languages that equals use with each other. Isn't that right? Equals don't command their equals to do this or that. It, it, equals don't demand that, that the other that's on the same level as them do this or that. Equals urge. Equals appeal or plead or beseech. That's what equals do. Now, is Paul the equal of the brethren to whom he is speaking? Well, it depends on what you mean. In the authority that he had from the Lord to lead? No, they were not his equals at all. But in his worldview that was formed by the lowliness and the humility and the suffering of Christ, he recognized that the authority he had was not for the sake of his own pride or to experience the, I guess, the, the, the pleasure of being in a position of power and the kind of vanity that that might uh, inspire in his mind. He recognized that his authority was there to be used in service to the kingdom, to build up his brothers and sisters and not to tear them down. And so we see that it's not only in this passage but others. The book of Philemon, chapter 8, or verse 1, or only one chapter, verses 8 and 9 in Philemon. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, writing to that Christian man, a wealthy landowning Christian man who owned slaves. Paul writes to him wanting him to release this slave who had escaped to himself, to Paul, to serve him. And in this context, he, he says to Philemon, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you, but I don't want to. I just want to appeal to you to do what's right. 
And that's the way that Paul talked to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, we have the Apostle Paul talking about the authority of apostles, the order of the chain of authority in the church. He says, first, apostles. Paul knows very clearly that the position he occupies in the church is of the highest authority under Christ. So it's not that he doesn't understand that he has the right to command. But we see him, in, and we see him also in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 18 through 21, which we'll study together more deeply, Lord willing, in a few weeks. The Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, that, well, you, do you think I'm not coming to you? Do you think I'm not going to show up? You see, he's been writing to them, urging them, pleading with them to do what's right, and that's the way he wants it. But he's trying to warn them, please take the kindness. Please take the sugar. Because when I come... If you're not ready to toe the line of the Lord's will, I'm not going to show you my speech. I'm going to show you my power. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. But that's the last thing in the world he wanted. What he was hoping is that brothers and sisters could reason together. They could treat each other as equals. They could share love for each other on a level playing field. And that the love would be apparent in the way that they communicated with each other, the way that they respected and regarded each other. And, and that common love would cause them to, to let go of hard-headed ideas and, and to yield to good reason and that they would all, in so doing, build each other up and reason and come to a good place of agreement. That was and remains love's preference because... Paul knew something that we ought to know tonight, and that's that it wasn't about him. The mission of Jesus was not about Paul. The mission of Jesus was about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And Paul was focused on success. What do I mean by that? I'm not talking about the concepts of success, of success that they often it is excess, but I'm not talking about the concepts of success that is taught in the business world today, that it's all about achieving your goals and rising above the competition and making a lot of money, people looking at you and saying, wow, look how successful that fellow is. Success in the kingdom of God's terms is saving souls, period. That's success. The church is successful when we are seeking and saving the lost, embodying the mission of our King Jesus, as he says in Luke 19 and verse 10. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's success. And so if I'm in a position of leadership, but I decide not to exercise that authority in a strong way, and instead to come across meekly, to treat someone who may be under my authority as an equal because I care about their insides because I care about their minds, because I care about their hearts, because I want them to be changed, not simply forced into a position. That is kingdom work. And that's what the Apostle Paul here is doing. And I wish to God that every eldership and every church leadership and every preacher and every person in any kind of position of authority in the church would think in the same terms that Paul thought in. He loved them not as minions, but as brothers and sisters. That's the way he saw them. 1 Peter 5, verse 3. Jesus, and that's where the elders are taught not to lord it over the flock, but to, but to be examples to them. That's following the example of Paul here as he also was imitating Christ. Matthew 23, verse 8, in Jesus' scathing rebuke of the, fire, of the scribes and Pharisees, he says that we're not to have these lofty titles that elevate ourselves. We're not to lord it over each other as the Gentiles do. Jesus says, for you are all brethren, your brothers. And this is the basis of Paul's idea 
about leadership. So he appealed to them. The word brothers there in the ESV, just a quick note, it literally means in the Greek brothers and sisters. Autophos is the Greek word, and the masculine is used in Koine Greek in the universal sense when a mixed plurality is in view. And that's definitely the case here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 in context. Some versions use brethren to convey this, and some versions say brothers and sisters. Throughout the ESV and most of the published versions, there'll be a little footnote by the word brothers. And if you look in the margin, you will see, or brothers and sisters. And that's what that means. I just want to make sure that you understand the and should be emphasized there. So I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very important term that we need to understand, by the name of. One's name, in this sense, means his reputation and the weight that it carries with people. In other words, power or influence. And so Jesus is saying, I appeal to you by the name, by the reputation, by the authority, by the weight that Jesus' name carries among you. I'm appealing to you in the name of Jesus Christ, or we might say by his authority. We read in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 that whatever we do, whatsoever we do, in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so this passage doesn't simply mean that we can do anything under the sun, regardless of whether good or evil, regardless of whether nice or mean, good intentioned or bad, or whether it's helpful or not, or successful or failure, any of those things. As long as we say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus, then it's good. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, again, leaning upon the authority of Jesus Christ that comes from the renown he has won by perfectly obeying God the Father and becoming the Lord of all creation. Because of that authority in Jesus Christ, we are to do everything in his name. And so the teaching here of 1 Corinthians 1.10 is, in fact, Bible doctrine. It is a commandment. It is a commandment that is shared in kind, brotherly language. But Paul is by no means saying that this is an optional thing for Christians to either accept or reject based upon your predisposition. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Now, first of all, the, the statement here is that we should agree. The, the Greek is literally, we should all speak in agreement. Some versions say, speak the same thing. And that's what it means. In other words, as members of the Lord's church, what we communicate together when we're teaching the Word of God, what we go out into the world and share about what we believe to be true, the message of the gospel, the message of the doctrine that adorns the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying that every single baptized believer in the world ought to be going out there and saying the exact same thing things. Now, it doesn't mean that we become clones and that there's no differences of personality between us or anything like that. It doesn't mean that we can't all say those truths in our own words or ways that flow from our particular personalities as God has given each one of us different talents and abilities and personalities and ways to think and communicate. But it means the bottom line, when the rubber meets the road, Every Christian ought to be sharing the exact same message in the world about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, and about the world to come. Everything that we say ought to be exactly the same so that the world would hear a unified message. And so he's not asking for us to be clones, but this does require a common vocabulary, and it requires relational communication. Two things. How are we going to get our common vocabulary? Well, that's a real easy question to answer. We've got 66 books of common vocabulary right here in our pews or in our laps or in our phones or our tablets, right? 
And so if all of us are absolutely devoted to the study of the Word of God and digging into it deeply on a daily basis, then those words that originated in the mind of God are going to find their ways into our heads and our hearts and our thoughts, and we're going to start communicating with that language as well. It's a fact that many church historians know that if we did not have a completed New Testament, that we could take the writings of the so-called early church fathers in the late 1st, the 2nd, and 3rd centuries, and we could just about complete the New Testament from the quotations that they simply used without given book, chapter, and verse, just the language of Scripture was something they were so familiar with that when they spoke, they spoke the words of God. Is it any wonder that the church spread like wildfire in those centuries and overcame the Roman Empire, even though the Roman Empire was putting them to death by the thousands? They presented to the ancient world a unified body of Christ, and the world could not overcome it. And of course, the relational communication aspect, meaning we need to get together, we need to keep getting together, we need to talk together when we get together until we understand each other and we build each other up and edify each other until we're all on the same page. That's what Christians are supposed to be doing. And that's what this passage is teaching us to do. You know what a schism is, right? Well, it comes from the Greek schisma or schismata, which is the word Paul uses in this context for no divisions. And what he means is this, brothers and sisters, in case it's uh, not clear, he means that there should be absolutely zero schisms in the church. No divisions at all are right. No divisions at all are right. And when people are following the pure will of God, no church will ever be divided in any way. No Christian family will be divided because we are one in Christ. And so he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Again, Paul is not being in any way uh, shy about saying the truth that he wants to communicate. All right, so perfectly joined together. The King James renders this passage. United in the same mind of judgment. Perfectly joined together, the King James. Made complete in the same mind and judgment in the New American Standard Translation. This comes from a Greek persive, uh, perfect passive participle, which is a statement that, that recognizes a completed process that has been accomplished within us. In other words, when Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that we are to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, letting us know that the unity was formed by the Holy Spirit, not by us, we're supposed to live a life that doesn't break the unity that God has already created in Christ. We can't build Christian unity. We can only be added to Christian unity. But having been added to Christian unity, Acts 2 and verse 47, we most certainly can break it if we choose to follow the will of Satan and bring schism into the membership of the Lord's church. And so we have this word judgment here, this word mind and judgment, sometimes translated just mind. It equals understanding, thought process, judgment equals view, judgment, or even opinion. And so whenever there's a Super Bowl going on, Every single member of the church must root for the same team. <laughs> That's not what Paul means, and you know it. But when it comes to the communication of what we believe about our God and what we believe about Jesus, our Lord and Savior, 
what we believe about his church, and of the hope that is ours for the future. Brothers and sisters, we even need to be of the same opinions. We just need to be that unified. Now, I want to say some things here that you need to listen to me carefully and understand what I am and what I am not saying. This passage has been abused outside of our brotherhood by being virtually ignored. It has been abused within our brotherhood because the focus has been on verse 10 and creating divisive doctrine from a passage designed to stop divisive doctrine. Now, if you look at the context, 10 through 13, our context tonight, let me ask you a question. Was the church of Christ in Corinth divided or not? The answer is, yes, they were divided. They were already divided, and that is the problem. It did not make them members of the same church. It made them members of the church who didn't understand their unity and who were going in the wrong direction. And the aim of this passage is not to create a bunch of self-righteous folks who think we're the only right group of Christians in the world and everybody else is wrong. And that has been a tradition in our brotherhood that has been pursued and communicated ad nauseum. I mean, sickeningly so. That's not the message of 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Paul is writing to divided Christianity and telling them to stop being a divided Christianity. That's the message of this passage. And so, I mean what that says on the screen. Paul means what that says on the screen. This text does not teach that it's impossible for there to be lines of division, sects, denominations, fellowships, traditions, tribes, or cliques, and there still be Christians on both sides of the line. It, it absolutely doesn't teach that that's impossible. It teaches that it's not right. It teaches that it's not right. And it needs to be fixed. Does that make sense? That's the mission of the restoration movement. Not to decide where the bounds of God's grace lie because it is not within our wisdom or power to make those decisions. It's not our right to say because someone is fellowshipping with a church that we can recognize as not worshiping or acting scriptural in some way to say that that Christian because of that fellowship is lost. It is not our place to say so unless that Christian him or herself has turned away from the Lord in some way or some practice. Not our place. We need to recognize our place. But it is our place to simply be the church and to refuse denominationalism or any of the, the things that go along with it, to refuse to be divided even within the church, that is our place. And to tell the world that is so apparently hopelessly divided, I mean the Christian world, that is so apparently hopelessly divided that you do not have to be. If you'll give up your Crete books and you'll give up your traditions and, hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. We don't have any written Crete books in churches of Christ. But we got lots of books, lots of books by our brethren that make divisive creedal statements. So let's make sure when we judge the Christian world that we remember to look in the mirror ourselves. There is and there ever has been only one church. And you can be a part of just that one church. And it's that idea that the Apostle Paul was trying to get the divided folks already breaking down into denominations after Cephas and Apollos and even without his permission, after Paul, just like the Lutherans did after he died, they were doing the same thing. That's what was happening there, brothers and sisters. 
And yet this group of people are called the church of God, which is at Corinth. Paul said your job is not to further divide. Your job is to heal those divisions. And that is the message of 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. This evening, if you need to respond to the gospel invitation, if you're a baptized believer that needs the prayers of this church, we'd be glad to offer them to heaven in your behalf. And this evening, if you are not a member of the Lord's church, by having not obeyed the gospel, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the water is ready. We ask you to come as together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.